book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And this is Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast where I talk to my seven-year-old daughter, as she reads through the Harry Potter book series. Our theme song is This Book is So Awesome by Harry and the Potters. You can find that by Googling uh, Bandcamp. Harry and the Potters. Harry and the Potters Bandcamp. That's where you'll find all of their songs. They have albums and albums and albums of Harry Potter-themed music. It's quite delightful. And uh, I also want to thank our patrons for their support, uh, for signing up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash hijinksensue. This podcast was initially funded by uh, our Patreon supporters and continues to be supported by them. So thank you so much. This is going to be the final episode for book one. Book one, episode three, and we're going to be starting with uh, the chapter The Mirror of Erised. I believe that's chapter 12-ish, 11-ish, something like that. About that. And how can you say all that stuff so quick? How can I say what stuff so quick? All the stuff you just said. Oh, because I'm, I don't know, I'm good at this. Wow. I'm, <laughs> I know what I'm doing, I guess, is the problem. Uh, so, uh, whereas our listeners have only uh, been without us for a week, we have actually not recorded a Potter and Daughter podcast for a couple of months as we've uh, been getting busy towards the end of the year. So, uh, Lily has gone back and read the last third of Harry Potter book one in the last couple of days, so it should be very fresh in your mind, don't you think? Yes. I hope so, because uh, as I'm reading over my notes here, I don't remember much of the specifics of this book. Really? Um, It's the one that I've read the least, it's the movie I've seen the least, and and it's the one that sticks in my head the least, so... like the most important book ever. Why is it the most important book ever? Because because um, because it's the first book in the series, and it kind of lets you know a lot about it. Well, of course, that's I guess that does make it the most important book ever. I, it's not my favorite book in the series, so I mine either. <laughs> well, where are you in the series now? You just finished book four. Four, okay. So uh, we'll be getting to that one eventually. But uh, here we are at the end of book one. So where we uh, left off, I think they had just learned about Nicholas Flamel. Is that right? I think so. I think they had just learned about Nicholas Flamel. They didn't quite know maybe who he was or what he was doing or why he was important. Uh, Harry was suspicious that somebody was trying to steal the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone. And I believe uh, they were they were suspicious of Snape. And, and Snape, they had just uh, decided, was the one who sabotaged Harry's Quidditch match and seemingly tried to kill him during Quidditch. Right? True. Do you care to elaborate? What does elaborate mean? Never mind. We'll move on. So, uh, so as we start the, this, part of the, this part of the book, there, there's snow all over Hogwarts. It's wintertime. I guess they're coming up on Christmas. And uh, Ron, Ron's brothers, Fred and George, the twins, have just gotten in trouble for playing a prank on Professor Quirrell. Yes. Do you remember what they did? Um, 
Not particularly. It involves snowballs. Oh, yes. I think um, that was a prank where they um, tried um, to hit um, the back of Professor Quirrell's turban. Yeah, so they enchanted some snowballs to chase him around. Um, Do you know what respect means? It means you are, like, nice and you accept people's ideas and thoughts. That is that is one meaning of respect, yes. And, and another meaning of respect is that you look up to someone and treat them with... Uh, respect? <laughs> well, you can't define a word with a word, but yes, that's kind of the best way to put it. You, you look up to them, you treat them uh, as if they deserve your uh, appreciation... And does it seem like anyone respects Professor Quirrell? Not really. It seems like um, they don't take him very seriously, and he's certainly not very threatening. Um, I don't think if you're going to enchant some snowballs and have him chase a teacher around, do you think you're going to get in trouble? Uh, yeah. Well, you probably will, but you're probably not too afraid of it, I guess is my point. Like, do you think they would have snowballs chase Professor Snape around? No. What might happen? Um, they would get sent to um to Professor Dumbledore or and you know, like get a f- um at least a week or two of detention. Probably. Now, do you think that's because they respect Snape more, or because they fear him more? Fear. What if they? Uh, do you think they would send snowballs after Dumbledore? No way. Because they respect him, or because they fear him? Respect. There's a big difference there. There, there is a big difference in treating someone uh, kindly because you're afraid of them and treating someone kindly because you respect them. So, the, the Weasley twins did get punished for having the snowballs chase Professor Quirrell. Uh, Hagrid comes up the, uh, the lawn with his giant Christmas tree on his back. And uh, I believe, yeah, so they're getting ready for Christmas. Now, Harry, at this point, finds a present in his uh, bed. What kind of present does he get? Um, I don't think I remember any presents being in his bed. Well, it was in his room somewhere. I don't know. You know what it is. <laughs> um, he got an invisibility cloak that used to belong to his father. But no one gave it to him, right? Wasn't there just a note? It was just a note without his signature. Yeah, and it belonged to his father... Uh, so, so what do you think he thinks about this cloak? He thinks it is amazing, and for the first time, he actually feels a connection between him and his family. Yeah, because it's the only thing he's ever owned that belonged to his family, whereas most people that grow up with their families, their houses might be full of things that their relatives had owned and passed down, and Harry's never even seen a picture of his parents, so he... He has no possessions other than what he has at Hogwarts and what he's bought for himself with his own money. And he has nothing that belongs to his parents. So he, you're right, he did not feel a connection, uh, or at least a deep one, because he had nothing to connect to. He didn't really know, he doesn't know anything about these people, honestly. So, um, Harry gets the invisibility cloak... You're going to have to help me with this because it's been a long time since I have read any of this stuff and the details are getting foggy. Doesn't he take the cloak out in the corridors and start searching for the stone, maybe? Um, 
No, not for the stone flamel. To learn more about flamel? I think so. He, um, he and his friends um, start looking in the library mm-hmm. for books that might have flamel in them. Okay. Um, but then Harry thought about the, restriction, the restricted section and thinks he might be in there. So he sneaks into the library and goes into the restricted section. Um, restricted. <laughs> Restricted, restricted sec- yeah. section um, at night and tries to find him in there. Does he go alone? He goes alone, yes. Okay. So does he find information about Flamel in the restricted section? He doesn't even read a, one word. What happens? Um, he pulls a book off the shelf, and when he opens it up... Um, um, the book starts screaming at the, at the top of its lungs. Like it had a security system on it or something? Yeah, pretty much. I wonder if it was enchanted so that uh, students weren't allowed to read it, maybe. Actually, um, you you can if you get um, a note signed by a teacher. Oh, that's interesting. So how does he end up then stumbling upon the mirror of Erised? Um, the same night he goes looking for Flamel, when he runs away because he hears teachers mm-hmm. um, coming down the hall, he just starts running frantically down the halls, and um, and eventually he doesn't really know where he is, and when he sees a teacher, mm-hmm. um, he just kind of hides in the corner, forgetting that he was invisible. Oh, so he thinks that they can see him. Yeah, um so he so he keeps so he keeps running um until the teachers are gone and when he realizes he has no idea where he was he saw the open door to, um to uh, to a room and he goes in it. Mm-hmm. And that's where he finds the mirror of Erised. And it's just in the room all by itself. Yes. So Harry looks into this mirror it's got this odd inscription on it that doesn't make any sense. And then what does he see in the mirror? Does he see his own reflection? No. Um, he actually sees him. Um, he actually does see himself, but himself with a bunch of other people around him. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at pictures on my iPad. So. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, I guess I should point out that one of the ways that we... Uh, or doing this podcast is by using uh, different guides for the series so that I can remember what's going on and sort of have some talking points. And one of the main ones that I'm using and one that's been really helpful is hpcompanion.com. So if anybody wants to check that out and uh, sort of browse along as they listen, hpcompanion.com is the uh, sort of chapter by chapter illustrated guide that I'm using to jog my memory. And uh, so he sees again, uh, who's, who's surrounding him in the mirror. Um, um, about ten other people that seem to be his family. Yeah, and it's not just his mom and dad, I guess. It's all of his extended relatives and, and, and other people he would have never met. Yeah, I, re- I remember, um, reading something about his grandfathers. Mm, mm-hmm. And so he sees his family and kind of just stares at the uh, image of himself with his parents. And doesn't he just stay there overnight, just kind of staring at the mirror? Yes, he eventually does go home. I mean, um, not home, um, back to um, the Gryffindor Tower, mm-hmm. 
like sometime around 1 a.m. or something. Um, and, and the next two nights he keeps um, on going to the mirror. Does he ever, doesn't he take Ron and show him the mirror too? Yeah, once. And what does Ron see in the mirror? He doesn't see his family, which Harry thinks that he, he um he will. Because he think because right now he thinks the mirror just shows you your family. Yes, um, but instead of um instead of seeing his family, Ron sees himself standing alone, but he looks older, and he's and in that picture he's like re- really important. Like he's had boy, he won the Quidditch Cup, the mm-hmm. House Cup. And all that good stuff. At this point, do you think Harry's figured out what the mirror actually does, or do you think he's more confused? He's a little more confused. So the last night that he goes there by himself, it's the third night, um, he's sitting there staring at his family, and he was planning on staying there all night, but then somebody else shows up. Who shows up? Dumbledore. And what does he say about the mirror? Um, He says a kind of a little riddle that's supposed to help... Harry, figure out what it is. Does he say the the inscription from the mirror? No. Okay. What is it? What was the riddle that he says? Um, he said something like, "The happiest man on earth would only see his reflection in the mirror." Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, and um, but um, all the other people who have at least one thing they don't have that they want more than anything else in the world, Mm -hmm. that's what they see in the mirror. So Harry sees his family, because that's the one thing he wants more than anything. And Ron just, just you know... He just kind of wants to be important. Yeah, he wants wants more attention. He's more overlooked, because Jenny, even though she's younger, um, she... Um, she's getting attention because she's the only girl in the family and all his brothers are older than him and they have like jobs and stuff and they're like Fred and George, they're the jokesters. Um, Percy, he's like, um, a prefect, um, and Charlie and Bill have jobs. Yeah. So he, he feels left out. He feels like he's overlooked. No one pays attention to Ron and, uh. And, and and but at the same time his his desires are are very much that of a child like he doesn't want something big and important he just wants attention so they're very you know childish desires whereas whereas Harry's heart's desire is to be reunited with his family and it's something very uh sort of grand and impossible i guess at this point um, and speaking of desire, um, if you if you um, if you know how to spell Erised, that mm-hmm. that might help you. Right, because Erised is desire backwards. So the inscription says, if you read it backwards, I show not your face, but your heart's desire. Hey, I was about to say that. Okay, you say it. <laughs> yeah, I said. It's fine. Okay, let's hear how let's hear how you would say it. The inscription, if you read it backwards, says. I, I show not your face, but your heart's desire. Very nice. I think I heard you a couple of days ago trying to read it backwards, too. Was I that did. Era said, tub, ikaf, tan, was, I. Wait. Why? 
Yeah. <laughs> so Harry finds the mirror. He's staring at it three nights in a row. He takes Ron to see it. He's just comforted by seeing images of his family. He, uh, I think he's realized by the third night that he can't actually, you know, talk to them. He can't communicate with them. But he doesn't really know what the mirror is all about. Dumbledore sort of explains it uh, and tells him, you know, the, the, the purpose of the mirror. Um, and he says, the mirror will be moved to a new home tomorrow, Harry. And I ask that you not go looking for it again. If you ever do run across it, you will now be prepared. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Do you know what that means? No. Uh, what he's saying is if Harry wasted all of his time staring in the mirror just to see his family, do you think he would have much of a life? Nope. I don't think so either. All right, so I know Harry is wandering through the halls, looking through the mirror. He, he finds, he talks to Domedor, and he sends him home. He gets in trouble at some point for wandering through the halls, but he's not alone, so that must not be this time. Do you remember, is that coming up? Um, I'm not sure. Let's see, because there's some big consequences for that. Um, our next chapter is chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel. And uh, they figure out that Fluffy is the one guarding the Philosopher's Stone. Um, what happens to Neville? What is? I know that something at the beginning happens to Neville and Malfoy is involved. Do you remember? This might be the point where they're involved with... Um, Norbert, but I'm not really sure. No, I don't think I don't think Norbert is alive yet. I don't think he's been born yet. Oh yeah, he's not. Um, that's an, that's a totally different chapter. I know there's a part where Neville says, "There's no need to tell me I'm not brave enough to be in Gryffindor. Malfoy's already done that." Um, I'm I'm kind of remembering. <laughs> yeah, I'm completely not remembering. So I'm obviously <laughs> not prepared to uh, comment on this chapter. I know that uh, Hermione has a giant old book that she checked out from the library weeks ago, and she says it was for a bit of light reading, which blows everyone away because it's, you know, six inches thick and weighs 100 pounds, and <laughs> it's it's ancient. And so um, what does she find in that old book? She finds um, she finds the name Nicholas Flamel um, along with Dumbledore. And does it mention at this point that he has created... A philosopher's stone, or that he is six hundred and sixty-five years old, or is that later? Right now. This is now. Okay, so it tells who he is, what he's all about. It says that he's uh, he's been alive for six hundred and sixty-five years, and it's because of this uh, eternal life elixir that he he makes with the philosopher's stone. But I don't know if they actually say. I don't think they go into any detail about. Like how you make it or how you make the, the stone or the elixir or anything or no, what, they the, don't. what the process is. So obviously it must be one of the harder pieces of magic to do in the whole world or else probably a lot more people would be doing it. Uh, yeah. I would imagine. Well, actually, there um, there is a um, consequence. There is kind of a bad part about living forever. What is it? Like if you live forever, you don't really have a life. Explain. I don't know how. Well, I mean, what what are the bad things about living forever? What about the people in your life that you love? <laughs> I. Do you think you would outlive everyone you've ever met? What is that? 
You would live longer than everyone you've ever met. What if you got married and you were, you lived forever, but your spouse did not? Actually, um, um, Nicholas Fomel actually did share it with his wife. Oh, that's right. So that's a loophole. Yeah, she was 658. Well, what if he didn't? What do you think would happen? What about all his friends? He would pretty much just be depressed all the time. Why? Because um, he would know that a lot of his friends and family would die, and it's kind of sad knowing that. Yeah, you know, he knows ahead of time that he's going to live to see everyone he's ever met or cared about die. Except for perhaps his wife, because he's sharing his formula with her, I suppose. Yes. But what, so you don't really know what you mean by that it's not a very good life to live forever? Or? I, I do, but I can't really explain Hard it. Hard to explain it? Yes. Okay, that's fair enough. So, I know there is a Quidditch match at this point, and Snape insists on being the referee. Do you remember that? Uh, yes. And what happens in that Quidditch match? Um. Um, I do remember, um, a few details. Um, at first, um, there was one, um, spot where Snape gave Hufflepuff a, um, a... Um, a penalty, Mm -hmm. um, because, um, George or or Fred, um, um, tried to hit a bludger into one of the Hufflepuffs, so that actually had a reason. Why would he give Hufflepuff a penalty if George or Fred did something wrong? They give, um, they give the other team a penalty, so... Um, Oh, you mean a penalty shot? Yes. Okay, a penalty means a punishment. They say penalty, just plain penalty in a book. Okay. Um, So anyway, um, that first one was for a reason, but the second time, he just did it for no reason. He gave them a penalty for no reason. Just to be mean. Probably to make Gryffindor lose, if I had to guess. Yes, and um, there also is this one very important part where... um, um, Harry, um, catches, um, the, um, catches the snitch the fastest anyone has ever done so. Like right at the beginning of the game or something? Yeah, it, like, it very, it barely lasted five minutes. Interesting. So, at this point, uh, also, and again, I do not remember how he ends up out there. Harry's on his broom, and he flies into the Forbidden Forest. Yes, he he just happens to be coming um, back to the dormitory from Quidditch, and he still has his broom with him, so he, like, flies out the window. What, does anything prompt him to do this, or does he do it for no reason? Um, he sees that, um, he sees that Snape is, seems to be threatening Coral, so he, um, gets out of, um, gets out of school to see what's going on. Okay, so he finds Coral and Snape in the woods having an argument. Do you remember the, the gist of their argument? Um, it seems that, um, it seems that Snape is, like, threatening Coral, um, by, um, by saying, um, some mean things like, do you know how to get past, um, 
all the enchantments get her or something. And he also says, uh, you don't want me as an enemy. No. So that ends the chapter with Harry Potter thinking that uh, Snape and Quirrell are now possibly the ones that are trying to steal the uh, Philosopher's Stone on their own. I believe that one of them is. Well, yeah, but I mean, he sees that they both know about it at least. So maybe he thinks they're both going after it or he thinks they're working together or. I don't remember. Yeah, I think that's. <laughs> okay. So our, uh, our next uh, chapter, chapter 14, is Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback. What is a Norwegian Ridgeback? It's a type of very fierce dragon. Right. And let's see. I know that at this point, Professor Quirrell appears to be uh, getting sort of sickly. He's getting paler. He's uh, not looking well. No. And so it seems like something bad is happening to him, but he's not, you know, he's not telling anybody what's wrong with him, at least. Uh, and they go visit the, the friends, Harry Potter and uh, Hermione and Ron, go visit Hagrid at his home. And what, what sort of special thing does he have to show them? Um, he shows them a strange black egg. Yeah, and it turns out it's a dragon egg that he got from... I want to say someone in the the pub, maybe. Yeah. Um. But the inn. But they didn't say who, um, like who was un who, um, had the egg, um, cut um because he didn't keep um, he didn't take off his hood. Right. So he was sort of disguised a he bit. Yeah. He dressed like, um, he was he. Um, tried to know all. He tried to get all he um all he could about the phosphorus stone uh um out of Hagrid because he knew that he think he knew that that would work because he kept on buying him wine. Right, and Hagrid is not so great at keeping secrets, right? Not really. Pretty much throughout the entire book series, he has a hard time keeping his mouth shut, especially when. He's got information that he's not supposed to tell other people. Like about dragons. Like about how they hid and protected the Philosopher's Stone and and all those things too. He did actually tell him. Um, um, he did actually tell Ron, Hermione, and Harry that. Yeah. Later in the book. So the dragon hatches, and within a couple of weeks, it's grown three times its size. It's growing very fast. And what do the kids tell her, uh, Hagrid that he has to do with the dragon? He has to get rid of him somehow. Because it's not legal to have a dragon as a pet, right? Yeah, and one of them says, if you if you let it survive, if you if you keep it for a few weeks, it, it'll grow bigger than than your house. And they're probably right too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Hagrid. Hagrid has a love for animals and creatures that seems to... Be monstrous. Yes, he loves monstrous creatures, and he thinks they're they're kind and sweet and lovable. And fuzzy. But he also has... His, his love for them is uh, sort of without logic. Like, he doesn't think about the real world uh, problems he's going to have with these crazy monsters. Like... I guess he doesn't care that he has nowhere to keep Norbert, that he has uh, no way to keep him hidden, 
that what he's doing is illegal and he'll probably lose his job and maybe even go to prison. Um, he just knows that he loves him and he wants to keep him, right? That's pretty much all he's thinking about. So what's their plan for getting rid of Norbit? Um, 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 they, um, um, they're going to, um, get under the invisibility cloak Mm -hmm. and, um, go up to the top of the highest tower and, um, Charlie's friends are going to take Norbert away. Because Charlie is Ron's brother and Charlie already works with dragons, right? Yes. Do you remember where he works with dragons? No. It's far away. I don't remember where. Yeah, it's very, very far. Some other European country that I've completely forgotten about. <laughs> uh, also, Ron gets injured, I believe, right? Yes. How does he get injured? Um, I think he, um... Gets bitten by Norbert, and his hand gets swelled up real big. So he goes to see Madame Pomfrey, but obviously he's not saying, I have a dragon bite. No, Because they would get in a lot of trouble. Yeah, he's saying that um, a huge dog bit him, but he says that Madame Pomfrey, he thinks that Madame Pomfrey doesn't believe him. Yeah, well, she wouldn't, because A, there's no huge dogs at Hogwarts, and B, he's not supposed to be around any huge dogs anyway, so... And, um, and C, they weren't even supposed to be out of the castle. So, our next chapter, chapter 15, The Forbidden Forest, this is one of the odder chapters in all of Harry Potter, in the whole book series. Uh, It's one of the ones where you really start to wonder, what are the adults thinking? Are they even looking out for the kids? Um, do, do they even know what they're doing? Are are they just caring about themselves right yeah, now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really confusing in the grand scheme of things. Um, but uh, Harry, Hermione, and I think, is Ron with him too? No. Is it? It's Neville and Malfoy. Neville and Malfoy get caught outside of the tower um, at night? Yeah, because Malfoy was going to try and um, see Harry, um, Hermione, and Ron sneaking out of bed so he could go Because they're still looking for Flamel. Yeah. And Malfoy knows they're sneaking around, so he wants evidence so he can tell on them. And Neville um, saw when they were trying to get out of the portrait hole um, because um, and um, he went looking for them, too, to try and stop them. Right, and so they have a confrontation with Neville that's kind of uncharacteristic. Uh, and don't they give him a, like, Petrificus Totalis or something? Uh, oh, yeah. Don't they freeze him? Yeah, um, it's the full it's the full body bind. Right, that's what it is, okay. So, Neville, yeah, so Neville's like, guys, you gotta stop doing this, you gotta go back to bed, this is dangerous... We shouldn't do this. And they can't convince him, so they have to do, you know, kind of a dirty thing to do to your your friend. Yeah. They might not be great friends yet at this point, though. Her, Hermione was like, Neville, I'm so sorry to do um I'm um that that I'm going to do this, but it um I just have to. You'll um we'll talk to you about it later, and you'll understand. Yeah, but it's still pretty harsh. Pretty harsh thing to do to someone that's. You know, basically on your side. And he landed flat on his face. Yeah, I think he got hurt. So they get in trouble. Um, they do get caught. How did they get caught? Do you remember? Um, they left the invisibility cloak on the top of the tower. All right. So they forgot. They didn't really have anything to disguise themselves. 
and who catches them? It was either Snape or Filch. Yeah, I don't remember. So they do get a punishment, though. And this is the part where things kind of go off the rails. They, uh, the punishment they get is a detention where they send them into the forest. And isn't it to find out what's been killing the unicorns? Yes. And why should kids have to take care of this problem? I'm not sure. Um, that's part of this chapter where the grown-ups are kind of just being insane. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It seems like either Hagrid should take care of it. Well, Hagrid's with them. But, so is his dog Fang. But if something out there is murdering unicorns... Couldn't it murder humans, too? Wouldn't you think? So it, it's very confusing that a, a punishment uh, would be potentially life-threatening for the children. And you got to wonder... Uh, like what is anyone thinking in this in this scenario? So and one of the teachers um, said, um, one of the kids mentioned um, a punishment being um, copying lines, and and one of the grumps is like copying down lines. What good will that do for anybody and stuff like that? Yeah. So it seems like they want a severe punishment, but and they also get. Uh, 150 points taken away from Gryffindor, uh, which I guess that means McGonagall finds them because she's the one that takes the points away. Yes, she's, um, um, Filter Snape brings them to Dumbledore and McGonagall and that's where she takes the 50 points away from each of them. So that basically that puts them in fourth place. Yeah, it means there's, there's no chance they're going to win the House Cup, even if they... Uh, if they win Quidditch, if they do everything perfect for the rest of the year, they're definitely not going to win. I'm not sure about that. Well, that's how that's where they are at this point. There's nothing they could do to make up those points. And uh, how many years in a row has uh, Slytherin won? Seven. So this is the thing that's a little confusing. It seems like they are specifically trying to make sure Slytherin wins and no one cares because... Uh, McGonagall takes such high points for this, you know, minor problem. And that's her own house. And it's her own house, so that's confusing. And uh, Snape never gets Slytherin in trouble. And Snape also takes points away from Gryffindor all the time because he hates Harry Potter and he hates Gryffindor. So it seems like both uh, Slytherin House and Gryffindor House are working towards making sure Slytherin's the champion every year because McGonagall's too hard on her own house and Snape is too lenient on his house. More more of how you can explain the grown-ups are insane. Yeah, this it, right off the bat, we're learning very quickly that um, they don't seem to always have the children's best interests in mind, uh, and, they, and they leave them to their own devices far too often. So Harry's in the woods. Uh, they get separated, I believe. They, they split up, and Harry takes Fang... No, um, no? Um, Malfoy and Neville take Fang. And Harry goes with Hagrid? Um, Harry and Hermione go with Hagrid. Okay, and what do they see? Um, they, they, um, they, um, see some weird creatures called centaurs. Don't they see the centaurs after they see something attacking a unicorn? They see them both times. Okay, I thought it was that they saw something attack a unicorn, and then the centaurs came out and scared it away. Uh, 
um, that ha happens too, but they also meet a centaur when Harry's still with Hagrid. Oh, that's right. They meet. This is when they meet Ferenzi. Yeah. Ferenzi seems to be kind of the leader of the centaurs. Mm-hmm. Okay. And have you gotten to the point where you're reading yet that Ferenzi gets a new job? Mm -mm. Okay, never mind. So Ferenzi, uh, he seems to be a pretty nice guy. He uh, he mentions that Mars is bright tonight, and Mars is uh, sort of the planet that represents war. Actually, I um, I don't think they mention that, and that's not Frenzy. It's not Frenzy. <laughs> no. Um, pretty it, sure it is. It's Bane and another guy. Um. But not. You Frenzy. might be right. I don't remember Bane. That's right. That's right. He does say that Mars is bright tonight, though. That's a yeah. Um, Bane and another. Okay, guy. you're right. You're right. I'm. I'm. I've got all my center. You know why? Because I keep thinking back to the movies, and the movies only ever show frenzy. They don't. <laughs> they don't show other centaurs. So then they see uh, a creature attacking a unicorn, and their blood is very weird. Why is their blood weird? Because it's silver and blue. Yeah, it's like. Uh, do you know what Mercury is? Yes. What? It's a planet. Well, that's correct, yes. But Mercury is a liquid metal. It's a metal that's uh, sort of resting temperature state is a liquid. It's also very poisonous. It's the silver metal that's inside thermometers. If they still make... I think they still make thermometers with Mercury. Anyway. Um, and so it sort of flows like a thick silvery goo, you know? Yeah. It's very weird. Uh, so, is this... Harry gets rescued by Forenzi, is that right? Yes. Okay. I knew he was there somewhere. So Frenzy comes and he says, uh, the forest is not safe at this time, especially for you. It seems like Frenzy has a better idea of what's going on than everybody else does. Yeah, basically, at least everyone in this chapter. He says, I set myself against what is lurking in this forest, Bane. Yes, with humans alongside me if I must. Which means uh, whatever is... Killing these unicorns, we got to stop it, even if we have to team up with the humans, which makes it sound like the centaurs do not like the humans very much. Have you learned anything about how centaurs are treated yet? Nope. Okay, that's probably coming later. Um, just as a general thought, they are not treated very well by the wizarding humans. They're treated kind of like animals. So, oh, that's right. You won't learn about that until book five, I think. Yeah, we're not going to get that for a few months. Okay. Well, maybe not that long. So, uh, so our next chapter is chapter 16, Through the Trap Door. Uh, at this point, they have decided, um, like, they know where to go. They know what to do. They got to find the stone, right? They know their plan. Okay, so what are they going to do? Um, they, they, again, are gonna, um, are gonna sneak into, um, sneak around the halls at night and try and find the door with Fluffy in it. And they can't get any adults to listen to them, right? Like, he tries to tell Dumbledore a few times, um, they, they, they try and, uh, don't they try and get some adults on their side and have a hard time with that? Yes, even Dumbledore doesn't believe them. Okay, and then Hagrid has... Uh, told someone how to get past Fluffy, or how to, or perhaps told them, I think, how to get past Fluffy. Yeah, um, they told the hooded figure and um, and Ron, Hermione, and Harry. So how do you get past Fluffy? Um, you 
um, just um, take any musical instrument or sing uh, and play it, and Fluffy immediately goes to sleep, and and you can do whatever you need to do um, without without Fluffy in your way. Yeah, so music puts him out, and they can get past him. And uh, so they go to put Fluffy out, and isn't there already... Isn't he already asleep? Um, no, um, the second you stop playing, he wakes up. But isn't he already asleep when they find him? No. He's not? Nope. Isn't there, like, an enchanted harp or something already playing? Nope, the harp is just laying by his paw. Oh, because someone already put him to sleep with it. Yes. So, right, he's asleep when they find him, but he wakes up. No, he's not asleep when they open the door. I'm so confused. I think that's a change in the book, too, in the movie. Yeah, that might be in the movie. Okay. So, do they put him to sleep? Um, yes. Um, Hagrid, um, gives Harry a, um, a handcrafted flute for Christmas mm-hmm. that, um, that, um, like, makes pretty owl noises. Okay. And they take that with them. That definitely doesn't happen in the book. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. It does happen I'm, in the book. I'm getting in the, in the movie. So, I'm getting confused. Uh, so they go through a trap door, and they are caught up in some pretty wicked plants, right? Yeah. Do you remember what it's called? It's Devil's Snare. Devil's Snare. And uh, the more they struggle... The tighter it holds on. So how do they eventually get out? Oh, yeah. Um, Her- Hermione hasn't been wrapped up yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so she takes out her wand, and she knows everything, um, pretty much everything about herbology. Um, so when, um, she knows that Devil's Snare, um, loves being in the darks. So, um, she whispers the light spell, mm-hmm. um, and, um, then all Is the... Lumos? Yeah, Lumos. Okay. And then all of the Devil's Snare unwraps them and tries to hide. Right, so the, the light makes it sort of shrivel away. Yeah. So obviously they are going to be facing a series of uh, protections against that the, that's hiding this uh, philosopher's stone, and so the first one was Fluffy, the second one was the Devil's Snare. What's the third one? Um, the Flying Keys. The Flying Keys. So they go into a room that has uh, sort of floating above them. I guess hundreds and hundreds of keys with wings. At first, they think they're birds with with um with keys um attached to them, like taped to them or mm-hmm. something. But then they realize um, it's just keys with wings. just keys, crazy enchanted keys with wings. And there's obviously a locked door, so somehow or another, they're going to have to discern which key opens the door and catch it. What happens when they try and Catch the keys. Um, they all fly away, and they kind of um, hit them. They kind of attack them. Um, but yeah. How do they? How do they find the right key? Um. Um, Harry. Um, Harry, being the seeker at Quidditch, um, is very good for spotting things that other people don't very quickly. Mm-hmm. And he notices that um, one of these keys is kind of old-fashioned, and one of its wings is bent up. So it's the only key that has something different about it. Yes. If you were to ask me, 
if the special key should be very obviously different, I would say, no, make them all the same. It would be harder. Yeah. But this seems like a pretty easy challenge. I know. But because Harry's the seeker, he's able to catch the key, right? Yes. Uh, the key is sort of almost just like a snitch. Pretty much. So they get through the door, and then they are faced with a giant chessboard. And they think they're going to have to just sort of play a game of chess to get through, right? Yes. What happens? Um, they have to take um, the place of three black chessmen. And it's a pretty rough game when, um, when any of the pieces takes another player's um, piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, like, smash them until they're, like, at least knocked out. And drag them to the wall. Yeah, so instead of just sort of knocking chess pieces over, they, they're they sort of animated like real people, and they actually fight. And uh, since they're taking the very, place... Very vigorous. Yeah, and since they're taking the place of some of the chess pieces, it seems like if they get taken, they're going to get punched out by a 12-foot-tall chess piece. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Ron, despite the fact that Ron is not always the smartest or the bravest in the group... He does happen to be the best at chess. And um, he says, no offense, guys, but neither of you are good at chess at all. Right. So he tells Harry to take the place of the bishop and Hermione to... Uh, take the place of a castle. Right. And uh, and then he's going to take the place of a knight. And so he hops up on a horse, I believe. Yes. Uh, well, at least he does in the movie. In the book, he's probably just standing on a square. So Ron is the one that devises a plan. Do you remember what the plan is? Um, he's gonna get taken while, yeah. um, while the other two can, um, um, can, well, where, while Harry can move three spaces diagonally, um, and, um, get the White King's crown, and then they win, so they can go through the door. So Ron's gonna sacrifice himself so that Harry can get through. <laughs> That's a pretty scary sacrifice. But it's also pretty brave, especially for Ron. I think it shows, especially considering uh, sort of how Ron grows up and the things he's going to do in the future, that uh, he, like I said, doesn't always seem like the smartest or the bravest, but he, he actually does have a lot of courage and he cares a lot about his friends, right? Yeah. So he's going to let them go. And as far as he knows, he's going to get pummeled. He's going to get smashed. Right? Yeah. And that is what happens. Yeah, pretty bad. Back up just a hair. He at least gets knocked out. Yeah, so he gets knocked out, and Harry and Hermione go on to the next challenge, which I had totally forgotten about this one, because it's not in the movie at all. I know what this one is. Tell me about it. Um, It's it's the one with the already knocked out troll. <laughs> well, explain explain what the challenge is. Um, It's to have to fight a very, very big troll... Um. And um, on top of being, like, 1,600 yards smaller than the troll, um, <laughs> um, um, you'll, um, it also stinks in there, so you can hardly breathe. Now, this may be a difference in the uh, U.S. version and the British version, but according to my notes... The next challenge is a logic puzzle with different bottles of different sizes of liquid. That's the last one. There's a troll one, too? Yes. I don't remember that at all. In the book, there is. Okay, what happens with the troll? 
Uh, he's all he's already knocked out pretty good by the person who. Oh, got so you him think you just them. you just had to fight a troll? Um, yeah, you just have to fight a troll. Okay, so then they go on to the bottle puzzle. Yeah. And what's the deal with the bottle puzzle? Um, Harry is like, oh my god, I can never figure this out. But um, Hermione is like, oh, this is so easy. Um, I know how to crack this. Totally cool. Um. So it's the the deal with the bottles is there's a riddle. And it says that some of these bottles have poison. Three are poison, two are um, nettle wine, and um, one will send you through the black fire forward. And, and one will send you back. And the, and the other one will send you through the purple backwards. And so by using uh, sort of a, a series of clues... Like, you know, this is always next to this, but it's never going to be next to poison. And yeah. the biggest one and the littlest one aren't going to be poison, but then they're next to whatever. Uh, she figures out that this has to be the real one. Now, I read an essay about this challenge, and it turns out that it actually works. It's real. Um, like the way that the way that it's described, you could actually figure out which bottle is, is the right bottle. Um, the author does not tell you the exact position of every bottle, which makes it impossible to find out as the reader uh, which one it is. But if you set this challenge up for real, you could use those clues to figure out which one was the right one. So it's just something that I thought was very interesting, that she took the time to figure all that out. Yeah, because until I read it again today... I realized the flame's not coming towards you. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to be in a quick hurry. Yeah, I suppose you could take as long as you want. But, but in their case, he did have to hurry before um, the other person got to the Philosopher's Stone before them. Yeah, because they, th- they know at this point, because of uh, there already being a musical, musical instrument in front of Fluffy, and because, of the, uh, because there already being some chess pieces missing... And because of the troll being knocked out, they know they're chasing someone who's already doing all of this possibly just minutes ahead of them. And so they've got to, uh, you know, get on it. So our final chapter, chapter 17, The Man with Two Faces. Uh, They get through. Why? Do you remember why only Harry gets through? What happens to Hermione? Hermione, she drinks... um she drinks um, the stuff that will let you backwards through the purple, so she can um, get Ron and right um, get him to the hospital and, or whatever. Um, yeah, and get him to the hospital wing and send it out to Professor Dumbledore. So Harry goes through uh, the final door, and he sees Professor Quirrell. He sees the mirror of Erised, and Quirrell is not acting his normal. Stuttering, uh, self. stuttering self. Yeah, he's like, who, who? Um, he's like, but who would suspect p- p- poor st- stuttering p- p- Professor Quirrell? Right, and then he snaps his fingers, and ropes come out of nowhere and tie up Harry, and he says, "You're too nosy to live, Potter." And then, uh, let's see, do 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 do. I suppose. That is about the point that Professor Quirrell starts to unwrap his turban, right? Yes. Um, wait. Has Harry looked in the mirror? No, Harry doesn't look in the mirror until he unwraps his turban. Yeah, until um, Quirrell tells him to look at the, um, to look in the mirror and tell him what he sees. Is it Quirrell or is it after he unwraps his turban and it's somebody else? It's, it's, um, it's like 
the um the man on the other side of his turban telling Quirrell to tell Harry to. But has he already there. taken the turban off at this point? Yes. Okay, so he takes his turban off, and the big reveal is the whole purpose of the turban is hiding another face on the back of Quirrell's head. Which I bet is pretty hot. Uh, yeah, I bet he's probably kind of like. <laughs> Can you loosen the turban just a little bit because I can't really breathe in here. I, I'm not sure he really has to breathe. Hey, Professor Quirrell, could you, could you unwrap the turban just a little bit? Because I can't really, I can't see anything and I can't breathe. I don't know where we are. I don't know what we're doing. I'm starving. Yeah, where are we? What are we doing? I'm starving. I can't breathe. I can't see anything. I want to watch TV or read a newspaper or something. Just five minutes, please. <laughs> but instead, he's like, I would imagine that when Quirrell goes into his own room, he probably takes the turban off. Yeah. But we find out the head on the back of Quirrell is who? Um, um, Professor, um, look. Professor. Not professor. I, I said Professor. <laughs> I was all, I professor was... Dumblemort? <laughs> no. Lord Voldemort. Lord, Lord Voldemort, he who <laughs> shall not be named. I almost said... He who must not be named. I almost said Professor. Professor Voldemort <laughs> from Evil Hogwarts. So that is why Quirrell is looking sicker and paler is because Voldemort is... Uh, Basically taking his soul. Yeah, taking over his body and taking over his life. And he's using Quirrell to feed off of unicorns. Why were they doing that? Um, so Voldemort could regain power and live forever, kind of like what the Philosopher's Stone lets you do. So it's all starting to come together. Drinking unicorn blood can, uh, give life back to the dead or dying, but it's not real life. They say it's a half-life. It's sort of a haunted life where you have to... Cursed life. ...always do that, right? Yeah. Uh, You're never free at that point. But I guess they assume now that if they can get the Philosopher's Stone... It's kind of like if you're just, like, trapped in somewhere when you're really just out. Sure. And uh, and if they can get the Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone, then I think they assume that's what they'll be able to use to bring Voldemort back to life for real, right? Yeah. So what do they tell Harry to do? They tell Harry to um, look in the mirror and tell them what he sees. And he looks in the mirror, and what does he see? He sees himself um, taking out the Philosopher's Stone out of his pocket, but he's um, but he knows he should make up a lie. So what does he say? He says, um, "I see me, I see me, and Dumbledore shaking hands. I've just won the House Cup." So he says something kind of like what Ron said, right? Kinda. Um, and then, but he, but Voldemort knows Harry's lying, so he's like, he's lying, <laughs> he's lying. Wait, is this? I think this is where he takes off the turban, because he's talking to him from inside the turban, right? Um, I think he, I think he is. I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, but it's somewhere around here that he takes off the turban. <laughs> you see, it's there, and he turns around. He's talking to Harry in the mirror. Um, then Harry, at this point, uh, grabs Professor Quirrell, I believe. Yes, and, um, actually, no, Professor Quirrell, um, 
um, grabs Harry around the neck, mm-hmm. um, and it hurts them both so much that um, that Quirrell can barely hang on. Yeah, it hurts Quirrell's hands, but it hurts Harry's scar, I believe. Yes, gives him a headache. It um, more than a headache. It's more. It's like. Um, his head is splitting open or something. And Voldemort's on the back of his head saying, Kill him! Kill him! <laughs> something like that. Something like that. And then Harry uh, passes out, and he hears voices calling his name, right? Yeah. So Harry wakes up, and where is he? He's in, suddenly in the hospital wing. And he's with Dumbledore. He asks how long he's been there, and um, Dumbledore says... Three three days. He's been passed out for a long time. And Professor Quirrell, from touching Dumbledore, it killed him. Yeah. It made him uh, sort of disintegrate into dust. Kind of. And, it, it, and the Philosopher's Stone was also destroyed, too. N- no, it was safe. He didn't take it from Harry. No, it just... It, it just... Um, Broke or something, because it is gone. Are you sure? I thought Dumbledore was going to take it back to Flamel to use, like, one more time or something like that. No. No? Hmm. Do-do-do. Might have happened in the movie. Let's see. Dumbledore says, Very well, the stone. Professor Quirtle did not manage to take it from you. I arrived in time to prevent that. Although you were doing very well on your own, I must say. So I don't remember. I don't remember the stone being destroyed. But if that's what you just read today, then I uh, I'll accept that. That's what I read. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Dumbledore explains why Professor Quirrell, inhabited by Voldemort, could not touch Harry. Right. Yeah. What does he say? Um. He, he says that Quirrell was weak and kind of powerless mm-hmm. and um. He was kind of being stupid by letting the most evil wizard in the the most evil wizard in the universe um, take over his body. Mm-hmm. Um, he was kind of insane, um, but he knew that um, he he um, would he thought he would regain regain power and um, act, um, well not really regain actually get power um, and kind of. Not be su- su- um, such a wimp anymore. Right, and but but what was it about Harry that made him poison to Quirrell? Now that they didn't mention. Are you sure? Because I don't want to tell you something you don't know, but I know why Quirrell couldn't touch him. He didn't say anything about his mother's protection. He might have. All right, I'm just going to tell you anyway. Uh, the reason that Quirrell couldn't touch Harry is because Harry's mother, uh, when Voldemort killed Harry's parents, Harry's mother protected Harry. And her protection spell was sort of a an ancient magic uh, that is fueled by a mother's love. And so that's uh, why the curse uh, did not kill Harry. And it made Harry something that uh, Voldemort couldn't touch. The Cruciatus curse. I think it was. No, the Cruciatus curse is a is a is a pain curse. I'm saying that Harry, oh, Harry the torture curse. Yeah, Harry Harry's mom protected Harry, uh, and so Voldemort could not touch him, and so because he was living in Quirrell's body, Quirrell could not touch him either. 
So again, I don't know if that's in the book at all. I know that it comes up later, and I'm trying not to say too much, but that's sort of why Quirrell disintegrated. I don't think that's much of a spoiler. Okay. So uh, at that point, uh, obviously Harry is, has gotten some some gifts and some well wishes from his friends. He's got piles and piles of candy. Dumbledore tries a Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Bean. And it turns out to be earwax. Alas, earwax. <laughs> Yeah, so he has a nasty, uh, nasty candy, and then it is called Betty Watts every flavor beans. Any flavor you could imagine. Um, is it Hagrid? Yeah, Hagrid uh, presents Harry with a present. Do you remember what it is? Um, it's a scrapbook of um, pictures of his mom and dad that he got from um, from Harry's parents' old school buddies. Yeah, he sent owls to all their old school friends, and he got photos, and he gave them a. A, uh, a scrapbook, and that's the first time that Harry's seen, other than in the mirror, it's the first time he's ever even seen sort of what they looked like, especially when they were younger. So then they have the uh, end-of-the-year banquet where they're going to award... Slytherin the House Cup. The House Cup. <laughs> and everyone, like, the, the banners are all green. Everyone knows that and Slytherin silver. has the most point, yeah. So Dumbledore decides he's got some last-minute proclamations to make says, first, to Mr. Ronald Weasley, for the best played game of chess Hogwarts has seen in many years. I award Gryffindor... 50 points. 50 points. Second, to Miss Hermione Granger, for the use of cool logic in the face of fire, I award Gryffindor... 50 points. 50 points. Third, to Mr. Harry Potter, said Dumbledore. The room went... Deadly quiet. For pure nerve and outstanding courage, I award Gryffindor House... 60 points. 60 points. And the fourth... There are all kinds of courage, said Dumbledore, smiling. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. I therefore award ten points to... Neville Longbottom. Neville Longbottom. So... All the banners change to maroon and gold. Because um, that puts um, Gryffindor ahead by, I would say, nine points. Yeah, it's like, it's just a few. So <laughs> the the crazy thing again here that, that sort of calls into question the uh, logic of, of all the adults in this in this whole book series and, and why anything matters at all. Um, you know, the points seem very arbitrary. They they take away five for some things, and they take away 50 for other things that don't seem as bad as the five-point things. And Ten or twenty. Yeah, and then, but obviously, at the very end, Slytherin has one, and Dumbledore just decides that he's not going to let that happen. And so he gives Gryffindor exactly how many points they need to win. Yeah, pretty much. It's not necessarily that they deserve to win or deserve to lose— Dumbledore has just decided to to make Gryffindor win. And even though Slytherin are not our favorite people, that's not the most fair thing he could do. Yeah, it actually did seem fair to actually let Slytherin win that time. And the the only thing about it that, about them winning, that wouldn't be fair, is that the reason Harry and Hermione and Ron lost all those points is they were trying to save everybody, and nobody would listen to them. So again... The grown-ups aren't making a whole lot of sense. 
So it's kind of fair and unfair at the same time. Which is a pretty good metaphor for life. Uh, you know, things just happen, <laughs> and it's not always fair, and it's not always unfair, and it doesn't always make sense. Uh, but it is nice at the end of such a arduous journey for our friends that they get to win the House Cup for the first time in seven years, I suppose. Yeah. So that's the end of book one. Um, you know, you, you originally read this probably six months ago, maybe closer to a year. It's been a long time. Year? I don't know if it's been a year. I know it's probably been at least six months. I don't think it was a year because we didn't start um, when I was six. Okay, well, you read this, you know, probably at least six months ago. You read a lot of it again yesterday and today. Uh, what are your overall impressions of your of this? Because this is the first time you had... You had seen little bits of the movies, but you'd never even seen the whole movie. And this was really the first I, time you'd been through a whole Harry Potter story. I'd seen, I'd seen like, um, like about half of book two, but never really understood the whole movie. Right. So that's why we started, so you would understand. So yeah. what do you think of your uh, sort of introduction to the world of Harry Potter? Um, I think it's really great, and um, I think it's just... Um, really fun reading um, about a young boy with um, a big life and imagination. Yeah, yeah. I, well, you know, I think it's it's for kids like you that have a big imagination, but I don't know if Harry has a huge imagination. Harry's got a big life, but I think so much crazy stuff happens to him all the time that he doesn't even really have time to have any other interest or hobbies where his imagination might come into play. Like other than Quidditch, you know, um, his life is so full of just trying to defeat evil all the time <laughs> that he doesn't really have time to have much of a, a life. He's got his couple of friends and he's got, uh, you know, he, he's, he, he's got sports. That's about it. He's not even the best student, you know, Hermione's a much better student than he is. He's um, he's basically like um, an in-between student. Like, half of the time he's doing something wrong, and half the time he's being great. And all of the time he's saving everybody from the end of the world, which no one seems <laughs> to really care about till nearly the end of this entire series. So, But it, it, it's larger than life. It's a... It's a his, his, the things he has to deal with are basically impossible to deal with, you know? Yeah. And somehow he manages to do it. So would you uh, would you recommend for anyone who who hasn't read Harry Potter to start with this book or start with the movies? Um, I think it would be better for um, for someone to start with the book. I think you're right, too. Um, now, you've read books one, two, three and four. How would you rank book one out of the first? You basically you're halfway through the series now. So how would you? How do you think book one stacks up against books two, three, and four? Um, I would say it would be, um, like I said earlier, a little more important than the other books because it explains a lot about these people. Sure. Um, Sets the stage for the rest of the series. Yeah, but um, I would also say it's not the most adventurous. Sure. I think you're right. I also think it shows that... The author who wrote these books, J.K. Rowling, that this was the first book she ever wrote. And based on how much better her writing gets through the series, 
it's obvious that this is a first time writing. It's not poorly written at all. It's it's done quite well, but she gets a lot better in the later books. And so it shows and a lot more violent. It does get a lot more violent. You're right. Um, it, it, it matures as the children in the book mature. So, you know, they're only, what, 11 years old in this book? Yes. And and by the time they're 14, things are getting pretty pretty hairy. It's getting hectic. So 10, 10 and 11. Right. So it definitely matures. Um, I think the idea was that when these books first came out, when I was a kid, uh, I was in high school when these books came out. And I think the idea was that you would start reading them when you were young and you would grow up with Harry and Hermione and Ron so that by the time that their lives got more intense. Uh, intense and adult situations, you would be able to handle that. Now you're, you know, seven years old and you're halfway through the series. You'll probably finish it by the time you're eight. So uh, we'll have to see. <laughs> we'll have to see what you think by the time you get to the end of it. We're probably not going to get to the Deathly Hallows for oh. A little while. Yeah, I mean, it might be another, you know, six months or so. It might be a little longer, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it just depends on how quick you get through them. So the last thing I want to ask you before we wrap up our, our sort of talking about book one is if you looked into the mirror of Erised, what do you think you would see? Um, that's hard to say. Mm-hmm. What do you think would be your your heart's truest desire? The one thing you'd want in the world more than anything else, even if it was impossible? Mm. I'm stuck between um, everyone in the world being a good person mm-hmm. and, um, and um, having superpowers. Everyone in the world being a good person having superpowers just you right not everyone having superpowers yeah okay that's a pretty good toss-up i don't know what do you think i would see i don't know i'm not you that's true i'd probably see you and mommy i think i think i'd be that guy that that pretty much has what he wants (laughs) Then then you would just see a reflection yep i think you're right i think that's what i would see so, for uh, Potter and Daughter, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And uh, I think this is a pretty good episode. What do you think? Good episode? Yeah. Great episode, pal. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Sue. Support us if you like it. Tune in next time for our first episode for book two. What's that book called? Um, The Chamber of Secrets. The Chamber of Secrets. It's called that in America. In Europe, it's called the Chamber of Secrets. It is the Chamber. (laughs) I know. I was being dumb. All right, we did it. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) You're a weirdo. (laughs) This book is so awesome!